I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News. Not just any man can say fabulous and pull it off. I have to, <laughs> I have to give you, I have to give you points for that. That, that. that worked with you. I don't know. I don't recommend every guy use that word, but I think you, uh, I think you did it. It's a Friday thing. I saw a meme uh, I liked. It's, it's a woman in the uh, aisle of a store, and she's picking out shampoo for dry and damaged hair. And then a guy is in the shampoo aisle, and he's picking out six-in-one shampoo for hair, face, body, carpet, car, and dishes. We do like our six-in-one, four-in-one, three-in-one, five-in-one products. Men do. That's just a thing with us. The more you can use it for, the happier we are with it. Jack, that's called bundling. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. (laughs) And it's fabulous. It's fabulous (laughs) when you do that. All right, well, welcome to our dreadful little show. And uh, feel free to jump in at any time at 210-599-5555. I wish I had thought of this because it is really a clever observation. You know, one of the stories today in the news is about uh, President Biden's student loan forgiveness kerfuffle. And, And, you know, as we've talked about, um, it isn't really loan forgiveness. It's just transferring debt that people have chosen to take out to other people who don't have it or didn't choose it. And it's always been crassly political, but now after the Supreme Court said no, after Congress didn't act, and after uh, Joe Biden fell behind in the polls, in an election year to be forgiving student loan debt is even more transparently political uh, than before. And he made a claim about it that is fantastic. I want you to hear this, cut number two. Look, folks, it's also helping you uh, who don't go to college. It's not just, you know, people say to me sometimes, well, Joe, that's great. You're helping people get into college. But how about all those hardworking people that grew up with in the neighborhood? How about all those folks in labor unions? How about all those hardworking people work with their hands? Why should they? Well, just today, my labor department announced 200, this is not a student loan program, but $200 million of grants for registered apprenticeship programs around the country while you can learn a skilled trade and lead to good-paying jobs. Did did that make any sense to you? Student loan debt is good for people that didn't go to college. I'm giving some money away to people who are learning trades. That's a non sequitur, if ever ever there was one. But let me get to the, the point that I thought was really ingenious somebody pointed out that in most states it is illegal specifically under election law for a political candidate to give voters a meal or a bottle of wine or a beer or paper money in exchange for their vote That was a big thing in the old machine politics days of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. You know, they'd, they'd be, they'd have like, you know, barrels of rum or kegs or guys handing out crisp fivers and it's against the law in in many states. I don't know how many states, but in many. So if you can't give money and food and booze to people for their vote, why can you rob the federal treasury? to relieve or alleviate their debts. It's 
buying people's votes with money. Now, you could say, you could say, and people will say, well, Jack, everything politicians do is buying people's votes. I mean, they're always spending our money targeting groups they hope to curry favor with and get support from. And I agree. I agree. But this is so naked and so obvious that we at least need to be able to call it that. You know, I find it funny, too, that Biden is um, in this latest, and I don't know if this was true with the other ones. I'm not in the target audience. But in this latest loan forgiveness, um, you get these emails. If you're affected by it or involved in it, you get an email that appears to come directly from Biden. And it's a note from him where he personally hopes that this will help you with your other bills and life decisions that you've been putting off. Do you remember how bent out of shape the media were and the Democrats were, not to repeat myself, when Trump sent that letter out with the uh, COVID stimulus and they were like, oh, so grotesque that he wants people's um, gratitude and he's taking credit and this is just something that the government has to do and any president would do this and I, I funny I don't hear that granular sense of outrage that visceral sense of outrage I'm not hearing that with with Joe's you know personal notes anyway 210-599-5555 so the the uh, South Carolina primary is tomorrow Trump and Haley are Campaigning hard in in South Carolina. I think Trump's doing a rally right now, in fact. And um, people are saying she's going to lose. Her campaign quietly says, yeah, we know. But she's going to keep going and aim for the Super Tuesday states where a lot of them are open primaries, meaning she will again benefit from that phenomenon that helped her in New Hampshire where Democrats and non-Republicans can get in there and vote for her. So... She's going to stay in, and her campaign is saying, here is why Nikki Haley is staying in. There's a new Marquette Law School poll that shows in a matchup between Trump and Biden, Trump leads Biden by four points. In a matchup between Haley and Biden, she leads Biden by 18 points. Remember a while back there was another poll like this? It was the only one of its kind, and it had her up by big double digits, Whereas all the other Republicans they surveyed, they surveyed Trump and they surveyed DeSantis, who was in it at the time, and I think a couple of others. And uh, they all had either a, a one point or two point lead on Biden, and she had like a 16 or 17 point. In this one, she has a 18 point. Um, now, some people will say that that just cannot be true. That's got to be a little artificial respiration for Nikki Haley. She's getting a little help from her friends. On the other hand, it could be true that that there are people that definitely want to get rid of Biden but can't bring themselves to vote for Trump. Do I believe there are this many more of them? I don't know. I don't think so. But I, I get I get that argument. So her argument is going to continue to be, hey, Republicans, we can beat Biden but let's be absolutely sure by having a candidate that doesn't raise objections, and uh, I'm that candidate. So she's apparently going to stay in. When they do head-to-head, by the way, uh, Trump and Biden, uh, Trump is favored on the border by 28 points over Biden, on the economy by 19 points, 
on uh, the Middle East, 17 points. On foreign affairs, by 7 points. Uh, Health care, it's Biden by 5 points. But Trump is up big on the issues that voters seem to care about the most. When they match Trump up against a hypothetical uh, race against Kamala Harris, she trails by about 10 points. When they match him up hypothetically against Gavin Newsom, he's even further behind. So that's that's what the Marquette Law poll says. And we'll talk about that, see what you think about that. Um, there's a little bit of news about uh, Trump's court cases today. The judge in New York, Angeron, rejected a bid from the legal team to delay the payments of that $358 million deal that we talked about last week. So that has to kick in right away. The judge says no delays, no extensions in paying on that, you know, um, a few minutes ago when I was just checking in on Trump at the rally to see what he was saying, and he looked like he was having a good time and the crowd was really into it, he was making that point that, I, I forget, I, I don't know what led him into it because I didn't hear the beginning of his paragraph, but in discussing Nikki Haley, he was making that point that, hey, folks, they will run this playbook against any Republican nominee. I, I think we need to actually have that conversation. You know, I think I, I think there's people that are kind of skating over that or maybe um, not wanting to think too much about that. I, I meet people all the time. We hear callers to this show who seem to think that Trump is the unique objection that Mainstream media and, uh, you know, big tech and the sort of, I guess you could say the democratic media industrial complex or whatever you want to call it. There's this sort of idea that if it wasn't for Trump or if Trump wasn't the nominee, we'd be having some kind of pre 2000 presidential election. It would just be about the issues and had better ideas about the economy and i'm always flabbergasted that people would think that i'm sorry if if you think that i'm i I don't even know where to begin with you i mean with all due respect you're a dumb cough if you really think that i mean you stop yourself before you go down that road and consider how hostile the groups i just named are to First Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights, people of faith, parents raising their children, local control of schools. I could go on. I mean, these are people who don't believe in civil society or Western civilization or um, families. They only believe in government. So any candidate who isn't completely on board with that, anybody who's centrist, right of center, let alone populist, yes, Trump is right. They will run this. They will find things, and they will go after, and you'll have lawfare and all that other stuff with any of these people. They'd have it with Nikki Haley. You wouldn't get off the hook with Nikki Haley. You wouldn't have a an easier time. You'd have a you'd have a a, a reapplication of the. The playbook. Like any team with a playbook, you make some modifications week to week based on who your opponent is, but the plays are your plays. 
And I'm glad he says that. He could make he could make the other point. He could say this is all about me. But in fact, it really isn't. I saw a comment from the uh governor of New Hampshire, John Sununu or Chris Sununu, I'm sorry. John Sununu was the uh, older guy. Um and Chris Sununu is a, is a never trumper and he he's retiring as governor and he really doesn't like uh, <clears throat> Trump or the state of his party right now. He says that a-holes come and go. That was his comment at the governor's summit held by Politico.com. It won't be his party forever, right, said Governor Sununu. It just won't. At some point, Donald Trump won't be here forever. A-holes come and go, but America is here to stay. Well, aside from the fact that he has like a 12-year-old's grasp of insults, you know, why does he just call him stinky face? But also, why why the hatred for 75% of the people in your party, Governor? I mean, I agree that Trump won't always be on the national scene, but are you seriously thinking that as soon as he's not, all these people, all this energy, the folks at the rallies, the renewed interest in like local affairs, school board meetings, you know, grassroots activism, standing up for life, standing up for gun rights. You think that's all going away? You think we're going to go back to like, um, you know, like 90s republicanism? Who could make the how, how how could you make the case that the minute there's no Trump, it all just settles down? So, like I said a minute ago, the other side's not going to. But how do you look at all this energy and support that at the moment Donald Trump has, and think, well, we don't want any of that. Let's hope that's over soon. I mean, these are these are Republicans who really don't get it, don't want to get it. You probably couldn't even have the conversation with them, right? 210-599-5555. Trump spoke at a religious uh, broadcaster's uh, convention and said that in his second term in the White House, he would defend Christian values and shield the faith from people who, quote, want to tear down crosses. I have a friend who went to this uh, convention. He's a broadcast executive. And um, it's interesting because... Donald Trump is probably one of the least religious Republican presidents or candidates in my lifetime. The least, I would say. But there is a tremendous embrace of him and appreciation for him, not only among religious broadcasters, but among a lot of people who in their lives faith looms large and it's not hard to understand why it's not hypocrisy or inconsistency there's there's always some thought piece in the atlantic about how that doesn't make any sense totally makes sense it's a term you don't hear much anymore it's called defender of the faith you go in old cathedrals in europe and there's archangels with swords and flaming maces and stuff because Faith requires a robust, vigorous, and 
courageous defense. Faith is not, as the atheists and the agnostics like to say, just a bunch of meek people grasping beads and saying kumbaya. Faith is not the he gets us Jesus of the Fakakta TV ads that run at the Super Bowl. Faith is also a battle. When you're a person of faith, you're fighting your own demons. You're fighting to defend your children. You're fighting to defend the way you believe you should live your life and conduct your affairs. And when you go into the world, faith is always under attack. I'm not crybabying about it. It's the life we've chosen and we believe in, and, and that's fine. But when people listen to Trump on this stuff, they get that's a defender of the faith, not an exemplar of the faith. We have those, and we'll always need those too. That's not a mystery why they would love him at this convention and, and places like it. A couple of people mentioning in the email, don't, don't you think Trump would have been impeached immediately if he had done student loan debt forgiveness? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, th- these ideas are all ideas that would immediately be reviewed the other way. We know that. He can't do that. And the proof of it is when they did the stimulus and he put that letter in there with his big, you know, <laughs> Trump has that big signature that looks like a lie detector test machine with a Sharpie. Is like the biggest signature ever. When he did that, they lost their minds. I remember that. And they went insane that how dare he ask people for gratitude and make it look like he's giving them the money. Biden's doing the same thing. Same exact thing. 210-599-5555. The Fannie Willis story got very interesting today. So they... the The Trump team... And I have to admit, I wasn't really sure why they were doing this. They hired they hired private investigators, and they really went after Fannie Willis's background. And it turns out that in looking at phone calls and texts, um, she had way more contact with this Nathan Wade guy than she said she did. They definitely had many, many overnight stays because you can ping the, the cell phone. You know where the phone is. You know where the person is, right? They had many, many overnight stays in her condo or, as she called it, the place where she lays her head. Remember, she said, he never came to my condo. He never spent the night. Uh, the filing suggests 35 uh, visits, numerous late-night numerous overnight, uh, before they claimed their relationship started. Now you can say, well, what does any of this have to do with the price of tea? Well, what it, what it does is it shows that both of them committed perjury on the witness stand. And so, on the one hand, Trump is going to have this case, no matter what happens to Fannie Willis. The case doesn't go away if she's disqualified. On the other hand, it creates a kind of, uh, to me, it creates kind of like a circus atmosphere, kind of like a immaturity around the case. And I've been trying to figure out, since I read this, did Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade, are they like very, very dumb people? 
it may be easy to just jump to that conclusion, right? Oh, man, did they not know? But I think they do know. Because whatever else you think of them, they're lawyers. Fannie Willis is a prosecutor. She's been a judge. She, she must know, she must have had a case at some time that involved pinging phone locations and tracking people through that data. She knows that. He knows that. So I don't think they're dumb. I think, and we see a lot of this now, when you're on the left, you look at a world where everything is in your hand. You've got the media eating out of your hand. You've got academia. You've got every institution, you know, kind of um, leaning your way. You, you start to think you can get away with anything. You start to think you're invincible, untouchable. That's what I think happened here. It was probably a very good idea to try to disqualify and undercut the credibility of, of Fannie Willis and her team. I didn't think so when I first heard about it, but it probably was. What it will mean to the case, we don't know, but um, I don't understand how she can possibly go on as DA, much less as the prosecutor of this case, if she committed massive amounts of perjury. I mean, this is like repeated, blatant, in your face. I am lying my face off in front of you. I'm on television. That's what that's what this data shows. And they could have, you know, probably told the truth about their relationship and been in better shape than they are now. That would have cast a shadow on her hiring him, but at least they would have said, well, we didn't want to talk about this, but we'll tell you the truth since you asked. They, they lied. They lied massively. Again, the case will go on, but it just changes the whole sort of maturity level of the people pursuing it. He's got a really interesting guy. I'm, I'm really looking forward to speaking to him. Coming up on the show next hour, his name is Christian Hodges. Never met him before, but I read an article he wrote about Gen Z. And it gave me a lot to think about, and it will for you too when he joins us at about 5.20. The ladies of The View on ABC were having a good time as they kicked around and giggled about a news report that President Joe Biden's dog, Commander, the German Shepherd, had actually bit and injured far more staffers and Secret Service agents than we first thought. New documents say that at least 24 Secret Service agents have been bitten. I'm not saying 24 times, like some unlucky fellow. 24 agents have been bitten by Commander. I had a German Shepherd. I love German Shepherds. They're my favorite dog breed by far. There is something else going on here if a dog is doing this. So they put up a picture of Commander, and Commander's beautiful, and they oohed and odd, and then they just had themselves a good old time. Cut number one. Listen to this. A Secret Service report was just released about a Biden family member who's caused a lot of controversy at the house their dog his name is commander the report found that there were at least 
This is a lot. This is a lot. 24 incidents of him biting folks. <laughs> well, I, it makes you wonder, what did he see that nobody else saw? Yeah, right? Yeah. Look, 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 look. Uh, okay, look. Look at him. Uh-huh. He is standing there. You must he have missed the 24 bite part of this story when so you now, all... So now, just, 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 let me just jump in. The... The story is about people getting bit by a dog on the job. They go to work. These are people that go to work. And their thanks for showing up for work is their boss's dog bites them. Ha, 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 that's hilarious. Audience is laughing. These rich women on The View are having a good old time. None of them would have to ever worry about anything like this. You know, They probably have dogs you carry around in a leather bag. But I, I'm, I'm watching this and I'm thinking... Surely this is not just funny to them. Like, little people getting bit by dogs, is that's, there's going to be more to this. But is there? Let's continue. He's saying something. He, like, he's cute. He's like, I know you got something in your pocket. Yeah. I don't know what it is. You can say it's your hand, but I let me check. Yeah. And he checked, and it was the guy's hand. I have a question for the Republicans. How, yes. can, we, how can we blame this on Hunter Biden? There's <laughs> got to be a way. <laughs> well, how does it last 24 bites? Because you have a lot of one-bite rules in states everywhere where... Well, well they were Secret Service agents. Yeah. So, like, you so know... they keep it secret? Well, kind of. So, I think... Do you think the White House is a uniquely stressful environment for a dog? Because there's yeah. working dogs all over, yeah. also mostly the same yeah. breed, German Shepherds. Even all in right, the hold on, hold on, hold on. The White House. Every president, almost, I don't think, I don't think Trump had one. Just about every president's had a dog. They didn't bite the Secret Service agents. And here's what I think, by the way, I, I'm not an expert, but Something tells me that Commander probably just, nobody's paying any attention to Commander. Like, he probably doesn't really have an owner, you know? I mean, we don't really have a president, so I don't think Commander really has an owner. But whatever the reason, it is so typical of these rich limousine liberals to find the humor, right, in what happens to the little people. So working people, people that protect them, people that enable their way of life, or in this case, the president's family, it's hilarious that they're getting chomped by the dog. And it, it, maybe the dog knows something. And, oh, well, there's one of them even says, well, you know, they are Secret Service agents. Like, this should just be part of the job. Now, I think the Secret Service would tell you that they are always ready to take a bullet or lay down their life for the President of the United States. Yes, true, in that moment, of course. But but like on a day-to-day basis, they shouldn't be nibbled on, you know. And, and I mean, I love the fact that the left is always the defender of the downtrodden and there's always this we care, uh, you know, vibe. But then in a case like this, It's just funny. And they go on.
Even in the residence, there's Secret Service and there's yeah. staff. And I grew up with a German Shepherd. I think they're one of the best, most loyal dogs, but they're protectors by nature. Yeah. So they did the right thing by put it, by rehoming him with somebody in right. the family. Right. It should happen a little sooner. 24 bites is actually a Maybe lot. Maybe he thought he was bad. looking. But well, I, he did. Yeah, I, think I mean, he all you got to do is look at him. Look, look at, at him. Can you show that picture again? Look at him. Yeah, that's boy. right. Yeah. I'm walking. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Yeah. Woo, woo. Listen to his name, Commander. That's He's in right. charge. He's I'm a bite giant. He's a okay. guard dog. Yeah, I, that's I just have to point out, I just have to point out, you can imagine, you can imagine, he'd never have done it, because I don't think he's a German Shepherd kind of guy, but you, you can imagine if it was you-know-who in the White House with a pet German Shepherd and staffers and Secret Service agents are bleeding and, you know, lacerated, oh... Oh, reign of terror, <laughs> right? I mean, then it would be, it'd be the worst thing ever. They'd say it reminds them of a concentration camp. They're like prison guard dogs, the whole thing, you know. It's so easy to do them, isn't it? Like, it's so easy to, you know, you can always figure what they would say before they even say it. So they had their fun. Catherine Herridge, I think, was on our show once when she worked for Fox. But I have followed her reporting. I've, I, I think she's really a great journalist. Uh, she left Fox. She went over to CBS News. She instantly became the star of a very, very big news department at CBS. She does tons of reporting on CBS Evening News and uh, CBSN, which is their digital 24-hour news channel. She's their national security person and covers terrorism and lots of things she got fired along with several hundred uh employees and it was a surprise that she would be caught up in that firing because of the value and the and the quantity and quality of her reporting it was a stunning development but since she got fired there's been a number of stories about how the network seized all of her personal files and material her laptop, everything that was in her office, everything that was that she was working on. And apparently that's not normally done. In fact, people that talk to the New York Post and talk to Jonathan Turley have said, people at CBS have said, we've never seen this before. It's just standard. If you leave or you get fired, you take your files, your boxes with you. Um, it's yours. You generated it. You, you, you take it. CBS, by the way, in a statement said that they are not planning to keep her files, but that they will eventually get them to her. But she was involved in um, some pretty big stories. The Her Report on Joe Biden, the Hunter Biden laptop. She was still involved in a First Amendment case back from when she had been at Fox, in which she was still in litigation. So she actually had a Fox uh, First Amendment case sort of going through the system, even as she had now moved over to a different company. I, I have to think that there's something really, there's something big here. If CBS is holding those files and they never do that, what gave them the idea to do it here? One theory is that she has something on her bosses, like a work environment thing or something. Another theory is 
Maybe she's working on something that is so potentially explosive to the current administration that calls were made or pressure was put on. And see, there was a time when you wouldn't have believed that. There was a time when that would have seemed like the least likely explanation. You know, if you go back to like Woodward and Bernstein, and I know I'm dating myself here, but the Woodward and Bernstein breaking of the Watergate story and Deep Throat, the whole premise of that, if you saw the movie or you read the book, is that their sources trusted them, not the Washington Post, not a corporation that owns a newspaper or a TV station. This is the way reporters get you to talk. You trust them. I will keep your name secret. I will not say who you are. I will never let anybody know where I got this. That's the only way you get the kind of reporting that makes history. If people think that, gee, if I talk to Joe Smith and he gives me his word, but then his company cleans out his office and takes all his files, I'll be exposed. So I can't talk to Joe Smith. I think that's the fallout of this. At a time when these mainstream legacy media companies keep telling you how important journalism is, they're not doing it anymore. And the few people in these companies that still do it, like Catherine Herridge, get fired. Tells you everything you need to know about their slogans. See where they... um, MySA.com says they are moving forward with the sale of the 13-and-a-half-acre property where Institute of Texan Cultures is for a new Spurs arena. So Hemisphere will be turned over to the arena and the parking for a new Spurs arena, and, of course, they want to do a whole, like, multi-facility plan and complex like uh, many other cities have done. I, I think we've talked about this. Cleveland has, like, basketball, baseball, football, bing, 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 all right next to each other, um, all in one place downtown. And so they want to do this thing. And I know people have all kinds of feelings about it, and we're not going to get into all that. But you know what I was thinking when I read this? Just because I'm a troublemaker and I like to poke the bear a little bit. Um, I wonder how many times over the years some real estate developer, some hotel chain, some capitalist, you know, maybe was interested in that land, that site. I mean, it's it's choice, right? Here you are right in the middle of one of the fastest-growing cities in the United States. All that land, all that open space, the Institute for Texan Cultures and a smattering of old hemisphere buildings. I wonder how many times they were told, you can't, we're not allowing, that's history. You can't, no way are we letting you put a high-rise hotel there. No Absolutely not. We're a city that values its history. Don't you know you're in San Antonio? We care about the past, and we value... Oh, the Spurs want a new arena? Oh, put it right here. (laughs) We'll just just sweep aside this old old junk from 55 years ago. Oh, you want to put a... 
You want to put a new Spurs arena there? Yeah, we'll knock down the Institute for Texan Cultures. Culture smulcher. I just love the, 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 how fast the, 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 the rules of the game changed, right? So if it had been like Hyatt, Hilton, Radisson, no. We have standards. Professional sports team, oh, we're San Antonio. What can we do for you? Are you sure this will be enough land? We could uh, we could close down a highway, or is there anything else you'd like? We don't really need that cathedral. Do you want us to get rid of that? I mean, you know, just uh, it's just hilarious to me. These politicians, you can read them like a book. Uh, in an hour, we'll talk restaurants on the dish. Get get ready, praise or zing. We're gonna meet a young man who says, "Here's what you need to know about the second biggest demographic group of Americans, Generation Z." It's like people, it's basically like from preteen to early 20s. And it's a huge group. It's much maligned. And he is, he's one of them. And he says, yeah, I get it. I get why we have a bad rap. But you know what? Here's what you need to know. Here's how we think. Here's what we've, how we've come about. And I liked this article. I said, let's get this guy on. Let's talk to him. He's going to join us in about. 10 or 12 minutes here on KTSA. Yeah, the uh, MySA.com reporting by reporter Stephen Santana says, looks like they're going to sell Hemisphere for a possible new Spurs stadium and potentially other uh, complexes or arenas or, you know, like baseball maybe. I, look, I'm not, I don't really have an opinion one way or the other. I'm just past it. I'm over it. I would have cared about this a lot more 30 years ago. Today, Jack today versus Jack 1995, just not one of the things I care about. But it is funny. You have to admit, it is funny. Local political people, will they will knock down. And I had a guy write to me and say, I, I truly believe they would knock down the Tower of the Americas. They would. They'd haul that thing down like it was a Thomas Jefferson statue. Right? I mean... If it's for a sports team that we have or that we don't. I mean, if the Oakland A's, now the Las Vegas A's, I guess, right? If they were to say, well, we're thinking about moving to San Antonio. Oh, want us to get rid of that Alamo for you? You know, <laughs> just, they're, they're so desperate. And yet it's funny how if anybody else had wanted to build on Hemisphere, it would have been, oh, no, no, that's history. And it's, you know, has a lot of memories. And we, we're a city that values its past and it's part of our charm. And, Okay, just, just, I get it. Just have to know how it works. This is uh, New York Post today. The number of Chinese migrants crossing the southern border near San Diego has now exceeded the number of Mexicans doing the same. During the fiscal year beginning in October, border agents have encountered 21,000 Chinese nationals uh, when during the same period they encountered 18,000 Mexicans. And um, only Colombians outnumber Chinese along this sector. And we're seeing it all over the southern border. What do you think is going on here? And I know people are uncomfortable talking about it. And I know why. Because you have nothing against Asian people. You have nothing against Asian Americans. You don't want to sound bigoted, some of your best friends. I, I, I get all that. I also understand if you're coming from communist China, you're coming from a, a very, very 
bad place. I mean, you're, you're, you're getting out of a very, very depressed place. I, the, the, the numbers and the sophistication of the move, to me, it doesn't look like a refugee thing or a migration thing. It looks very programmed. It looks very um, orchestrated, organized. And they were talking to uh, Congressman Mark Green of Tennessee, who chairs the Homeland Security Committee. Uh, He was talking about this at CPAC, which is going on right now. And his point was, you can't leave China. Like, we think of people leaving country X to come to the United States as probably the poorest people in that country or the people with the worst prospects or the people that, you know, are clearly coming for a better life. But he says everything in China, communist China, is about that social credit score. You don't get to leave. They don't let you leave unless you have the social credit score. And given the price it it would take to leave, to fly, to pay the cartels, which also enriches the cartels, he says it's, it's well into five figures per person. This increase has to be somebody's master plan. He said at CPAC, I'm not suggesting that China is going to be attacking the United States, but if we defend Taiwan... I can't imagine there aren't people in there who are going to be tracking our railheads and looking at our ports and who knows what else. We've had mass waves of Chinese terrorists storming military installations with cameras. It's a desperate threat. Um, Senator Ron Johnson is also talking about this. Military-aged men from China and all over the world are flooding into America. Through the Democrats' open border, it's a clear and present danger. Uh, I, I mean, all of the, the whole totality, the whole spectrum of illegal immigration is important to look at and know about and do something about. But this one is, this part of it is, um, is unique to me because we're not in a adversarial position with the other countries from which these people are coming. And while we may disagree about what to do, There's not a lot of disagreement about why they're coming. This, however, is ominous. And again, I know people are reluctant to talk about it, and I understand why. You don't want to sound like some, you know, uh, (laughs) let's keep America white person. I I get it. I understand. We got to look at it. Next guest wrote an article that I just loved and wanted to get him on to talk about. He quotes uh, Ronald Reagan, who famously said uh, that freedom is always one generation away from extinction. And he's writing about his own generation, Generation Z. Christian Hodges joins us now in the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. Christian, congratulations on this piece. Thanks for coming on with us this afternoon. Jack, thanks for having me on. It's really an honor to be on. I um, I have to say, first of all, uh, when I was around your age, I don't think I even thought generationally. I don't know if that was just my own lack of awareness or if we didn't think of ourselves as 
part of or members of a generation uh, back then. But there's a lot of, these days we, we tend to view a lot of things and carve a lot of things up into, you know, well, what do the millennials think and what is Generation X mm-hmm. and the baby boomers and so forth. What What got you to where you felt you needed to kind of explain Gen Z to the to the world? Well, I think, Jack, if we look around our nation today, you really see a generational divide, whether it's between boomers and Gen Z or Gen X millennials. We always have to segregate each other between generations, right? We each have these stereotypes for what one generation looks like compared to another. I think to save our nation, we have to do what we did when we founded our nation. If we look at the founding fathers, a lot of them were young, 18, 19, 21, 22, 23. They were young people as well as old people. They were 70-year-olds, 70-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 30-year-olds. They were people of all ages. And if we want to save our nation, we have to have the same diverse range, multi-generational effort to save our nation. 70 million people um, between 11 and 26, roughly, uh, with a lot of, as you say, stereotypes, and you go through them at the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the article. Mm-hmm. You say that you believe this is the make or break generation for America. What do you mean by that? Well, if we look at history, we analyze it, do some basic math. The most effective republics in history have lasted an average of 250 years, and in 2023, America celebrated. 247th birthday. Now, I'm not saying that America is going to end in three years or two and a half years now, but what I am saying is that if we look at the state of our nation today, I don't know if any of us can say that we're heading in a positive direction. And if we are, please call me. I want to talk to you. Let's have a conversation because <laughs> I want to have hope. Uh, you have that hope. Um, but if we, if we look at this, our nation is heading in the same direction that Rome was at the time of the fall. We're seeing uh, foreign invasion at the southern border where you guys are in San Antonio. Uh, We're seeing people blindly accepting the words of others as truth. And this is only going to get us further down the rabbit hole of destroying a nation. And I think all of us love freedom, whether we know it or want to say it or not. I don't think any of us would rather live in a country like China instead of the U.S. So I think if we love America, we want to be free, which we all do. We can't give up on America, and if we want if we want to preserve America, we have to preserve the future. That's what we're all fighting for, right? Mm-hmm. And who is the future? But let me America? ask you: Does Generation Z? I understand that you feel that way, but does Generation Z generally feel that way? Because one of the things people despair about when they look at this age group is both looking at where you get your news, i.e., you know, TikTok. And also looking at the state of public education and, and the, the sort of indoctrination rather than education that it has become, we, we wonder if there is that appreciation of American exceptionalism. Would you argue that there is, and these are just stereotypes, or are we right to be concerned? Well, Jack, we have a right to acknowledge the truth, right? It, it's a sad reality that we live in today that Gen Z... Oh, the majority of them do not love feeling patriotic. That's the truth. 67% get their news from TikTok daily. That's sad. That's what it is. But why, why are they here? Why are they in this situation? And how do we move forward? Let's accept the truth 
and find a solution. They're here because the education system has taught them to hate our country. Why? Because Marxists have taken over our education system and tried to re-educate a whole generation, if not two now in Gen Z, so that they can take over our nation and they can indoctrinate us, which they already have, so that we'll, we'll view another country as better than the U.S., when in reality, the U.S., the United States of America, the best chance we have outside of Christ to preserve freedom in this world. My favorite observation, I think, that you make, we're talking with Christian Hodges, uh, who wrote uh, an article uh, called America, Don't Give Up on Gen Z. Um, you say that there is a, a marked trend toward conservatism among young men, and, 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 I, and I agree with you, um, and I, I, I see it in, in a lot of different sort of iterations, but there is, at the same time, a heavy lean toward liberalism or so-called progressivism by the women of this generation. And you have an interesting mm -hmm. explanation for why Gen Z men are conservative and Gen Z women are generally lefties. W what is that explanation? So just for those who don't know, set the preface, uh, the last three classes of 12th grade boys have graduated from high school and have been the most conservative in the past 40 years. So that's progress, right? We're moving in the right direction, and we can't stop there. And only 12% of Gen Z females identify as conservatives. That's really a problem. But like we're saying with TikTok, Gen Z get, doesn't get their news from national TV, uh, like say like Fox News or a Newsmax. They don't get their TV from anyone like this. They go to places like YouTube, social media, podcasts. They listen to people like a Ben Shapiro, or Charlie Kirk, or Stephen Crowder, Jordan Peterson, Tucker Carlson. The list goes on and on, right? But the leaders in this field of podcasts and YouTube videos yeah. who are influencing people for conservative values, the majority of them are all men, yeah. the vast majority of them, right? So if we look at the, the leaders of the women in this, there's not as many. And it's, a, it's just a pure fact that men enjoy listening to other men. They're drawn towards their opinions more mm -hmm. than vice versa. And the same is true for women. They're drawn to listen to other women. So if we really want to reach and not give up on Gen Z females, we have to have more young, conservative, uh, Christian women stepping out there, Gen Zers stepping out, engaging their online followers and their personal connections uh, for conservative values. Because at the end of the day, this is going to be a grassroots movement to save our nation. It's going to start with, uh, you talking to one person who talks to another, who talks to another and another and another, and it goes mm -hmm. on and on. We're not going to mm -hmm. win this by making one video and going viral with 10,000, 10 million views and winning our nation back. It's going to take every person, the multi-generational effort, engaging everyone they know for the sake of our nation. So let me ask you about a couple of things that this article made me wonder about. Uh, Christian, um, we have an election that's shaping up between the two oldest men ever to serve as or run for president. Um, what do you expect from the Gen Z voters in terms of turnout, and how how do you think this election sets up for them? I mean, somebody pointed out that really the only candidates they've ever known were Trump, Hillary, and Biden. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I just recently wrote an article after this previous article we're talking about 
where I lay out four New Year's resolutions for Gen Z to practice this year in preparation for the 2024 election. I tell them we have to focus on the issues, not the candidates, right? Because like you're saying, the only people in politics that Gen Z knows are Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and Joe Biden. They only know the candidates. I'm not sure that Gen Z knows how to view the issues, the way conservatives ought to view the issues, the way the founding fathers viewed the issues. So I encourage them before choosing one candidate over another, whether it's in the primary or the general election, you have to stand firm in your key issues. Identify what's important to you, study the topic, and sharpen your opinions, have conversations, and keep an open mind that you're not always right, but you may be right compared to someone else. So you can, you can gain a lot from everybody. And secondly, Gen Z needs to learn to think for themselves. Because uh, like, like I was saying before, we've been propagandized in a sense. We've been educated, but not really taught how to think. So we have to challenge narratives, expand our diet of information, mm. analyze the original sources of today's talking points, like the Constitution, Federalist Papers, Socrates, uh, Scripture. And we have to consider and make uh, educated decisions. And thirdly, we have to have conversations like the founding fathers did when they founded our nation. Uh, they didn't have FaceTime back then. They didn't have Zoom calls. They didn't even have email then. But we have all of that to our advantage, but yet they founded a nation. So if they could found a nation without any technological advancement, we sure as heck can preserve our nation with everything that we have today. And fourthly, it's the voter values by knowing where we actually stand so we're not manipulated by the left or the right. Because the thing that the left does best is they manipulate people. That's how they've won Gen Z. They've won millennials over now. And now it's our turn to teach Gen Z to walk away from the Democratic Party, walk away from the doctrine of the left, actually think for themselves, and to vote their values on in November of 2024 mm-hmm. when this election finally rolls around. Because Ben Franklin said, we only have a republic if we can keep it. And I really mm-hmm. think this election is going to be huge for dictating how Gen Z votes during their lifetime. The same is true for voting that is for a credit card. Same credit card company that you get your first time, it's typically the same company you stick for the rest of your life. The same person, same value you vote the first time, typically the way you vote the rest of your life. Hmm. So this election is really critical, being one of Gen Z's first elections for many of us, mm-hmm. including mine, mm-hmm. my first time to vote. So we have to focus on the issues, think for ourselves, have yeah. conversations, and voter values. And if we can all do this, including uh, boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z together, if we can all do this, we can make our mark and renew America for our generation and each generation to follow. So that one day, as Ronald Reagan once said, as we said at the beginning, that we won't be telling our grandkids what it was once like when our nation was free. Right, right. Well said. Um, you touched on it a little bit, but I want to come back to it before we, we wrap mm-hmm. up. If you were advising a mother or a father or just maybe a, a person that has a younger coworker, so this isn't their kid, but this is somebody uh, in this age range. How do you, I know authenticity is important. Um, I know, um, you know, mm-hmm. awareness is important. How, how do you initiate a conversation about, say, student loan debt forgiveness or a current political issue? What's the mm-hmm. best way to, to open that? Of course. Well, if, as, long, as much as you need us for the future of the nation, we need you now. We need you to prepare us so that we can save this nation. 
Um, we need your wisdom. We need your advice, like we're saying. But it all starts just with basic principles, right? Going back to the basics is really key right now. We have to confide in the young people around you, whether it is your coworker's son or daughter, or it's your own uh, son or daughter or grandkid or whatever. Go to them, have a conversation, mm. get to know them, invest in them. Um, and as I wrote at the beginning of this article, I laid out the stereotypes for Gen Z, just so we can set the, the baseline of who people think we are and who we actually are. So don't let these negative headlines define your perception of who Gen Z is. Ask questions and learn how they think. So you can actually invest these critical conservative values into them. You can share your wisdom with them and encourage them in the fight for our freedom and show them why. Tell them why you love America. Tell them stories that you've heard of people who have fled to America, fled political persecution, religious persecution, whether it's China or North Korea or wherever it was. Tell them why you love America today and why we need it for the future. Tell them uh, that you actually trust them, that you're one of their loved ones, that you're a trusted friend of them. Set the baseline. Take them to church so that we can allow the church to step in and reach out to Gen Z. Because a healthy congregation is filled with more than one generation. We have to have Gen Z in church, really, because right. Gen Z needs Christ more than we know it. Um, well, and churches so need young people. Uh, no, no church can continue any of its yeah. work uh, without you know new generations coming in. I think that's a great point, Christian. I love yeah. this. I uh, I hope you will come back. Uh, I'd love to have more of this conversation and talk to you again. But in the meantime, thanks for the time today and thanks for this article. That'd be great, Jack. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, you as well. Coming up on Monday's Jack Riccardi show. Republican congressional candidate Brandon Heretta will join the show. He is primarying Congressman Tony Gonzalez. He'll be with us. All the breaking news, what's going on in our world, aftermath of the South Carolina primary. That'll be Monday live between 4 and 7 here on KTSA. Uh, I like Christian Hodges a lot. I like this article that he wrote. Um, I love his optimism, his uh, faith, not only literally his religious faith, but his faith in the future. I will just make a couple of observations because you don't hear a lot of really young callers on this show, as in millennials and Generation Z, but we have a lot of people listening. They listen. They're not apt to call in. I've I've had uh, occasion to meet many, and I've engaged and had debates and stuff on... uh, in person, at events, over uh, Messenger. And just a couple of observations um, about this age group. And my daughter's in this age group. I'm interested in this age group. And we all have to be, as he points out, it's 70 million people. But you know what really um, sort of provides like a, a connection or or makes a connection? I have found. And this is going to sound sort of like, uh, this is not what you're going to expect me to say, but just bear with me for a minute. I have found a connection with people in their teens and 20s about history. Not getting luxury, but they genuinely have not heard some of the history that underpins 
how you and I feel about this country and the issues. And because they don't know it, and it's not their fault that they don't know it, when you bring it up, again, not in a way of, I guess, belittling them or or proving your intellectual superiority or whatever, but when you when you explain where you're coming from, I remember one time I was talking to a guy who's probably about the same age as Christian, and I mentioned that my dad had served in World War II, and that he went when he was 17, and that he was the children of immigrants. And he he was a brand-new American, but he, but he knew that he had to fight. He had to be in this fight. And I realized as I related that to the position I was taking on whatever we were discussing, that 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 was kind of eye-opening. You and I have always known people like my dad. You may be the child of somebody like that. You may have served. But a lot of young, young people, they don't know anyone like that. They've never met anyone like that. And that love of country and that the way that starts you down a particular road and shapes the way you look at things is a game changer. And it made me realize that this is also a generation that's really, nothing's really ever been asked of them. You know? The way they were raised was very helicopter parenting and stranger danger, extremely protective. I'm not faulting that, but I mean, that's... They were raised in a very heavily protected way. They were, um, you know, basically wrapped in bubble wrap as far as feelings and validation and, you know, the participation trophy mindset. And compared to people in their late teens and early 20s of a prior time, they haven't been asked to do anything. They haven't been asked to fight. They haven't been asked to go halfway around the world. They haven't been asked to... And so we don't really know what they're capable of. And they don't really know what they're capable of. And I don't know if they will be asked to do those things or not, but I I think he makes the point that we can't give up, and we need them. I like that he talked about church, because churches have got to get this straight. They've got to get this right. We've talked about this before. The absolute worst thing religious leaders can do with young people is try to ape their music, or imitate their language, or meet them on their level. It is so belittling and and insulting and condescending it will drive young people not only away from church, but away from God. So enough with the, you know, the soft rock Catholic masses and the rap services and the, just enough, stop, cut it out, okay? The, the timelessness and the consistency and the stability and the high expectations of faith are why people come to faith. 
So if you act like an all-you-can-eat buffet, you're not giving people what they expect. You're not giving them what they came for. I'm not saying be harsh. I'm not saying be exclusionary. Just stand your ground. Tell them what you believe and why you believe it, and tell them in in regular language. I'm not, I'm not saying speak in Latin, but but don't try to hep it up for the for the Utes because that is the most inauthentic, off-putting thing you could possibly do. That's just my two cents worth, and we've we've talked about that before. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Speaking of advice, I liked this. Don Cooper found this, and I I thought this was pretty good. We all love Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal went on the uh, Kelsey podcast. He was talking to Jason Kelsey, who was about to retire from the NFL, and um, he gave some retirement advice. Listen to this, Shaq, cut number six. My advice to you is if you are going to retire, yes, accept it. Enjoy your family, brother. Thank you. I made a lot of dumb mistakes to where I lost my family and I didn't have anybody. That's not the case for you, so enjoy your beautiful wife, enjoy your beautiful kids. And never dwell on what we had. Yeah. What we had is what we got. You got the ring. People know who you are. Enjoy it. Because, again, I was I was an idiot. And I've talked about it for a long time. Lost my whole family. Spent 100,000 square foot house by myself. What did I say, Don? Did I say Jason Kelsey? I think I think you did. Or did did you know? I don't know. I've, yeah, I heard you whisper something in my ear. Did yeah. I say something wrong? No, I, I was saying he was talking to Jason Kelsey. Did I misunderstand? Oh, I don't know. I think yeah. that's if I didn't say that, I apologize. This is Shaquille O'Neal talking to Jason Kelsey on his podcast. And I thought that was not, I mean, I know he's speaking pro athlete to pro athlete, but I actually thought that was pretty good advice, just like period, no matter what you're doing. So it, it's, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't, I was telling Don Cooper this earlier when we were discussing this clip. I don't really watch a lot of NBA on TV, but the chemistry between Shaq and Charles Barkley on, what is that? Is it TNT, their studio show? I think it's TNT. Yes, it is. Love that. Love that. You want to you have, have a good show? Like, remember when CNN put, would they put uh, Barkley and Gail King? Yeah, which was just, that was like spinning a wheel. Just a random combination of people. I'll tell you, a, 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 a talk show I would listen to, put Barkley and Shaq on. Nobody else, just those two. Talk about everything. That would be interesting. You've waited all week. You've been waiting. Monday. You got through it Tuesday. You got through it Wednesday. You started to smell it Thursday. You were right on top of it. And now it's here. It's Friday. It's time to rock and roll. Break out the speakers. Blow your cars into them. Get home. Get to your stuff. And get ready to rock because it's Friday. Whoa. I am saying all of those things on the inside, just so you know. We've got the dish coming up in a few minutes. We're talking restaurants, and you're voting in the JR poll. Got a very provocative question on the poll. If you haven't taken the poll yet, this is not, no one, no one is neutral on this. No one can be neutral. We'll get into it. There's a story today about uh, President Biden. This seems like an old story, but it's got a new twist. So, you know, they've been, there have been pictures, um, over the last few years of like cheat sheets that Joe Biden uses at press conferences and other, you know, events where it looks like he really needs everything written down. 
I, I, I mean, they have to write like pause and comma and sit, and, you know. So now the story is that he uses these little uh, note cards or cheat sheets at Democratic Party fundraising events. And the difference is that these are not like a news conference or a town hall meeting or a campaign event. These are closed events. The people at them are all people that have given him money. And these are the friendliest confines you can possibly be in. These are not people that are challenging Joe Biden or testing him. Not that I really think anybody is, but, you know. And so people have said, well, how bad must he be? How how reliant on these crutches must he be if even in the setting of the fundraiser he needs the note cards? Well, I had a different take on it. And I, of course, I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there, but... I still think the cheat sheets and the note cards are not just a reflection of age and memory loss. I also think they're an indication that these are not really his ideas at all, his policies. You know, it's easier to talk from the heart. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what impairments you might have. When you, when anyone, even a person that is not a polished or experienced public speaker, when a person is speaking from their truest, deepest, visceral beliefs, it, it loosens the tongue, right? It, it brings out the best. And conversely, when you have to represent a set of ideas that are alien to you, they're not yours, and maybe not even ideas you particularly like or believe in, but you have to front them, then you're most reliant on notes, and you are most hesitant, and the the wording is stilted, and maybe the delivery is... That's what I think we're seeing here. I, I'm not discounting the other part, the age and the, the early-onset dementia or whatever, but I, I do think we're watching somebody playing the part of the chief executive but not running not making the decisions, not making the policies. And so they're hard for him, to, and he needs somebody to write it down so he can get through it. Just a theory. We can talk about it. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread had a bite. Beans, not cornbread, out of sight. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. I'll be ready. Well, same goes. It takes all kinds. It takes all kinds of restaurants to make the dish. That's the name for this hour of our show, the last hour of the last show of the week is the dish. And we're talking about restaurants. And those restaurants can be in San Antonio, around San Antonio, a half a tank of gas away from San Antonio, you know, all over. Any kind of food. Any kind of restaurant, any price level, you know, fancy splurge, special occasion kind of place, hole in the wall kind of place, chain restaurant, can be any meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, brunch, snacks, donuts, whatever. It can be, you can talk about 
the incredible food and and the, the, this one thing that they have that you got to get when you go there. You can talk about how amazing the servers are, or you really got to see this bartender or whatever. And of course, you can also zing if the experience you had kind of went off the rails. Praise or zing? Praise or zing? Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> At 210 599 5555. That's the dish. All we ask is please have the complete correct name of the restaurant you're calling about. Doesn't have to be a restaurant review, just the way you would tell a friend about it. Or you'd come home and tell your husband or wife, hey, we got to go back to this place. I went there for lunch today. It was amazing. 210-599-5555. We're talking restaurants this hour of the show. Plus, we're wrapping up any remaining votes in the JR poll. We'll have the results coming up at the end of the hour. There is a candlelight vigil tonight. There is a candlelight vigil tonight outside a Hooters in Charleston, West Virginia. And you might be wondering, my gosh, what what happened? Well, they're having a candlelight vigil outside the Hooters because they're tearing it down. Tonight is the last night of the Hooters. And when they tear down the Charleston, West Virginia Hooters, there will not be any Hooters restaurants in West Virginia. I don't even recognize this country anymore. <laughs> what has happened to us? No, I um, I guess people are taking it hard. I, I didn't realize it was that uh, big a deal. They're replacing it with a gas station, and people have decided to have a rally and a candlelight vigil outside Hooters. People are holding signs saying, rest in peace, Hooters. Uh, we still have a few of them around here, right? I was trying to think. I don't... Jack's pretending he doesn't know. I really don't know. I know there's one... I know I, I drive by the one on San Pedro all the time that's over near, like, the the liquor store. It's in front of Sam's Club, right? I know that one. Is there still one at Wurzbach in Fredericksburg? Is that still there? I think it's there. I don't know. Is there still one on 35? There used to be one on 35... Uh, when you're going up to Ritama, on the other side of the highway from Ritama, but I don't know how many we have. I, I, I've never really had a feeling one way or the other, to be honest about them. Uh, the food was pretty good, you know. Um, I always thought like the whole hype about the women was kind of overblown. You can go to a lot of restaurants with beautiful, buxom servers. It's not like Hooters has the market cornered on that, but okay, whatever. Uh, Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five is. Nice-looking people all over. Uh, but in any event, they're uh, they're taking it hard in Charleston, West Virginia. So just our thoughts are with them. 210-599-5555. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience, wherever, whatever that was. Let's start with Penny on the dish on a Friday night. Happy Friday. Welcome to the show, Penny. Happy Friday, Jack. I want to tell you about the best takeout pizza place in the world. Mm. It is Rosie's, uh, and it is at 427 West Kingsbury in Seguin. They also have a location in San Marcos that we've only been to one time, 
But uh, we've been here nine years now, and um, Rosie's has been primo the whole time we've lived here. They're, wow. they're the best quality pizza. They're reasonably priced. Um, they're they're just really top notch, and they're they're fast. They're they're delicious, and and you can't beat the prices on them. What do you uh, What do you like to get there? What's your favorite pizza there? My favorite pizza is double pepperoni. But today, when we had pizza, we had pizza for lunch today. And mine was double pepperoni, and uh, my husband got the meat lovers pizza. Mm-hmm. Well, double pepperoni sounds pretty good. Oh yeah, it's it's great. And the, even we used to get a, a big pizza between the two of us, and we just have to fight over what what flavor we get. Uh, but now we get two mediums, one of each, you know, one for him and one for me. There and both go. of us have at least one more meal left over after, you know, after eating lunch or dinner. You know, we have another meal left over of pizza. So, you know what? I think, Penny, time. I think you gave, you just gave not only a, a restaurant review, you just gave some marriage advice right there. <laughs> you just, you just told a whole lot of people how to, how to keep a happy home right there. Two pizzas, don't fight over the toppings. I like that. There you go. There you go. All right. Praise for Rosie's Pizza to Go, 427 West Kingsbury Street in Seguin. Rosie's Pizza to Go. Praise on the dish. Thank you, Penny. 210-599-5555. Praise or zing. And Debbie is on the dish. Happy Friday night, Debbie. Happy Friday night to you, too, Jack. So one of the best places in town, I think, is the 410 Diner. Located on Broadway, just mm-hmm. in, just inside of Four Ten, and uh, it's a great place to get vegetables. Great place for fish. Uh, I took a friend there who hadn't been there in a really long time, and then she even went back the next day. They, um, I mean, they they've had a great reputation forever, ever in a day. Every time I think of that place, the first thing I think of is that King Ranch chicken casserole. Do you know if they still have yeah. that? Uh, I don't know if they still have that casserole. They have a Sonora casserole. That, That's what that it was. Dish. That's what it was. It was a Sonora. That yeah. was it. Yeah. I had the wrong I ranch. The other day, and, <laughs> yeah, it was, it's really good, and they still have that. Beautiful. 8315 Broadway, just inside Loop 410 on the right as you go down. Broadway, tons of calls over the years. Uh, Sonora casserole, chicken fried steak, the pies, the desserts. For 410 Diner. That's a good one, Debbie. Always good to hear about the that they're still there. They're still knocking it out of the park. Thank you. 410 Diner on Broadway. Praise on the dish. Right now you got the dish on a Friday night on KTSA. This is the hour of our show where we talk about and share intel about restaurants all over the place. And you can praise or zing at 210-599-5555. And Linda is on the dish. Happy Friday night to you, Linda. Happy Friday, Jack. Great to hear your voice. you got a great show. Oh, thank you. So what is on your I mind? Wanted to give a praise. I wanted to give a praise to La Sorrentina Italian Restaurant on Calabra. Oh, yeah. They are Talk amazing. to me. They are amazing. I just got back there for dinner this past week, Wednesday, I believe, and had their chicken francais. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's a... Uh, Wine, lemon infused sauce with spaghetti. You get a salad. You get breadsticks. You get the whole nine yards for 
like $16. It's amazing. Hmm. I love that place. Yeah, I'm with you. I it's it's really it's just honest good food. It's not it's not a fancy place. The prices are reasonable. Uh, It's just straightforward and really good. I I, we've had I'm looking right here. We've had so many calls in the last 14 years about this place. Um, You've been there before. This wasn't your first time, right? Absolutely. Every time I go back, I, I just am. Impressed again. It's never a disappointing experience. Like you said, it's a humble little family-owned place. There's maybe ten tables, but the lasagna is amazing. They do a baked spaghetti that is really not something I would order at a restaurant. Generally, it's the kind of thing you can make at home. But their baked spaghetti is the best. Um, Just really eggplant parmesan is really good. And the name of the dish that you mentioned? Did you say chicken francaise? Is that what you said? Yes. Uh Yeah. I've not had that there, but that sounded good the way you described it. So, uh, thirty-three thirty Calabra is the address. Thirty-three thirty Calabra. It's right across from St. Mary's, and I even like the way you said the name, Linda. Say the name of the restaurant again, because you you said it beautifully. La Sorrentina. Oh, listen to Linda. I could listen to that all <laughs> night long. That was just like you just like sang it to us, Linda. That was beautiful. <laughs> Praise for La Sorrentina. 3330 Culebra. Thank you, Linda. Have a good weekend. And, yeah, a lot of calls going back to, uh, I think, like, uh, what, 2010. We've been getting calls uh, for this place. Last one was October of 2021. Praise for the Caesar salad. Uh, praise for the shrimp scampi. Just lots of things. And it's a big menu, little place, La Sorrentina. 210-599-5555 as we talk restaurants on the dish on a Friday night. Now, we're also asking you on the JR poll today, and you can't be neutral on this. Everybody's got an opinion. Are you a yes or are you a no on banana bread? Where do you come down on banana bread? Don Cooper, are you a banana bread fan? Absolutely. Who isn't? Well, there are people, I, I can tell you there are people who are not. That's hard to imagine. There are people that make hard a face of banana bread. Yeah. Banana bread is the meatloaf of baked goods. It's practical. It's hearty. Most of us appreciate it. Some people look down on it. I love it. I will say this about banana bread. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, done. I'll bake a loaf of it, and I'll be very excited with the first few slices. Mm-hmm. Sometimes toward the end of the loaf, I'm getting a little... <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not supposed to eat it in one... You know. No, but I mean, like, if it's just, like, you know... You're having it like every day, like on the third or fourth day, you're like, whoa. Well, just make a half a loaf then. Or give it away or something, yeah. That's that's the thing to do. But uh, Now, nuts or no nuts? Oh, absolutely. I mean in the banana bread, Don. I mean in the banana bread. I'm not, I wasn't asking personally. Absolutely. In fact, I, I think we were talking about this off the air earlier. My yeah. grandmother made some of the best banana bread um, and uh, it it's, was, a, it's the kind it, of thing grandma's usually good at. Yes, isn't it? It, it was moist, yeah. but it had just yeah. the right amount of nuts in it. Just the right amount. You got to be careful yeah. with not too much banana in it either. Some people make that, it kind of gloopy. That's, that's you don't want it. Yes. Yeah, like mm-hmm. just a couple of bananas. Try to use ones that are you know peak ripe or past peak. Uh, definitely got to throw some nuts in there unless you have a nut allergy or something. You know what else is a neat thing? You can, you can really add to banana bread endlessly. I, I've made it where I've swirled in some peanut butter. Have you ever done that? I have not. 
Pretty damn good. Yeah, I'm not yeah. Well, you know how good peanut butter that. is oh, on a banana, yeah. right? Yeah, so true. never you thought stir about a little that. peanut butter into the into your mix um, before you bake it. Very nice. Adds a little something. See now, but I'm you for- can do all kinds of things in there. You can put, uh, you know, you can put raisins in it if you like raisins, or you can put currants, or you can chop up dates. Um, the fruit, not yeah. you know, not now, your date. Now I'm thinking uh, banana bread. Peanut butter sandwiches, you know, if you slice the banana bread. Just... I'm not going to lie, Don. No. I've done that. You have done, done that. that. Really? I have done there that. There you go. And? I'm proud of it. And? Excellent. Very good. Okay. Yeah. Would you proud put, of it, but I've you, done that. Would you put bacon between it as well? No? Yeah, I would not. I'm sure people have done that. I, I, would, I wouldn't do that. Um, I, you know, I like bacon a lot. I'm not, not to get off on another subject, but I'm not one of these people that thinks it goes with everything. Some people do seem to think that, right? Yesterday we had the pork latte. Yes, we did. From China. There are people that probably think, you know, oh, yeah, stir some bacon into your latte or stick a stick of bacon in there. I, I wouldn't put it in banana bread, but I guess you could. I suppose you could. Yeah, because I, I like it in peanut butter sandwiches. A few couple of strips of bacon in between. Yeah, mm. Makes for a good good sandwich. That's, your, that's so. your Elvis side coming out right there, I think. <laughs> you got a little Elvis streak going on, you. Yes, I don't know. But uh, no, I. I but banana, so the reason we're asking about banana tasty. bread is it's National Banana Bread Day, in case you were wondering. So we wanted to see where you come down on banana bread. Yes or no? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. And yeah, there are people that just like with meatloaf. You know, I love meatloaf and I appreciate it, and I think it's one of the greatest things about civilization. But you know, some people don't like it. They have bad memories. They think it's like school lunch menu food or something like that. So. More for the rest of us, right? And I would put bacon, and I have put bacon on top of meatloaf. So just to be clear about that. Well, you can't go By wrong way, with that, no. Quick update. The candlelight vigil continues in Charleston, West Virginia. I think, um, honestly, if you have lit a candle and made a sign and you're standing around outside of Hooters, it might be time to... Take inventory of, you know, your life choices and like what you're doing there. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm not running them down, but that's a you know, come on. But you have it's to, hard to believe there won't be a Hooters. That's a pretty big city to not have a Hooters. Oh, is that what that is? You'd have to bring me up to speed. I was on the phone. I think when you were oh talking yeah, they, about uh, the they're subject, having a candlelight though. vigil at the Charleston West Virginia Hooters tonight because it's their last night in business. And when it gets torn down for a new gas station, there will not be any Hooters. Oh, restaurants, I any see. Hooters restaurants I in see. Charleston. I have to be clear about okay. that because there probably will still be Hooters. They've closed some of them here in San Antonio. I know there's still some, I, I believe. Yeah, I was trying to remember where they three. are. Yeah. I know the one on San Pedro, San and I know Pedro. the one. Um, I think there's one. I know on, there's one. I think there's one at, at Wurzbach and Fredericksburg. I think there's one on Ingram Road, I believe, that's still open. Yeah, okay, I, I didn't know that one. So, mm-hmm. so see, we, we're way ahead of Charleston. Um we have multiple Hooters, and they're going to have none. Well, that's an interesting way of putting it, Jack. It, yes, it is. Um, multiple Hooters is probably a phrase most people did not have on their bingo card for this show. So, 
this half hour, we'll get to the results on the JR poll about banana bread. We do. We talk about everything on this show. You know, we we go everywhere. Other shows wouldn't go there. We go there with pleasure, with pride, with fear, trepidation. All right, um, we're talking restaurants on the dish. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience, whether it was tonight or this week, a new restaurant or new to you or singing the praises of an old favorite or you'll never believe what happened. And Charles is next on the dish. Happy Friday, Charles. Happy Friday. Now you made me hungry for a banana bread and butter. There you uh, go. But but uh, my favorite restaurant in town, it has been for like six years since I've lived here, is Mamacita's Mexican Restaurant over on uh, West Side 10. They're so accommodating for my son's in a wheelchair. As soon as we walk in, we get a table. It's a large restaurant, really cheap mm-hmm. for the family. And food is excellent. Service is excellent. And we had a family reunion there, a family reunion. We had 18 people, two servers, and we were all fed within an hour. Just fabulous service there. If you haven't hit it, hit the Mamacitas over on I-10. That's mm-hmm. the place to go. Is it the – I always get confused uh, over there. Is that the place that when you go in, the dining room looks like it, like a little village and it's got like a nighttime sky with stars and stuff on the ceiling? Right. It's got the uh, the venue or the mural of the Alamo. It's got David yeah, yeah. it up there. And just to the left when you come in, it's got a bakery and a bar. Yes. Yep. And a big fountain right in the middle. And it's just yeah, that's a pretty good. I agree with you. I agree with what you said, Charles. That's a pretty good place, and it's good for big groups or families. Uh, very accommodating. Yeah, they got plenty of room and very yep. good service. I've never had a bad meal there, and it's a fabulous place to take your family on a nice weekend. Very nice. Great idea. Charles, thank you, sir. You have a good night. I hope you get some banana bread, and I appreciate your calling us on the dish, Charles, with a praise for Mama Cita's 8030. IH10 on the frontage road, 8030 IH10, 210-599-5555. Uh, so we were talking about that, uh, that Hooters being torn down in West Virginia. There's a little bit of bad news, uh, if you're a Red Lobster fan. I don't know if you are or not, but this is kind of a, kind of a strange story. I don't know if you heard this or not, but, um, they're not going out of business, but they're making a significant change to their menu um they started uh a while back an all-you-can-eat shrimp deal and the the premise of it like in any restaurant was we're gonna do this kind of loss leader cut rate thing but we're gonna get more foot traffic and so we'll make it up in volume and they kept going up on the price but they lost a ton of money on all-you-can-eat shrimp. And they, um, it's been so, excuse me, it's been so bad that part of their ownership group sold and dropped out. Uh, they thought it would bring in more people, but instead it just caused them to lose more and more money. And, um, 
So they're discontinuing it and they're reconfiguring it. And um, it's crazy to think about because I'm not a big Red Lobster guy, but that's like one of their most well-known promotions. Right? That's what they're known for. And it almost killed them, <laughs> apparently. So that didn't work out. I I guess in general, it's it's pretty tricky because with inflation, I was just reading this week that um, food and of all kinds, whether it's grocery shopping or restaurant eating, is taking up more of your budget than it has at any time in the last thirty plus years. So. It's pinching you. It's pinching people in the food business, the restaurant uh, business. Um, and this is the highest sort of percentage of our take-home pay that we've spent on it uh, since, I think they said, 1991. So. Get your shrimp while you can, I guess is the bottom line there. Did you hear about, um, you know, there's this big eclipse coming up. Um, it's a, it, for people that are into this kind of thing. Um, there is a major uh, solar eclipse. I think it's April eighth or ninth, something like that. Delta has announced that there will be a special flight leaving from Austin, middle of the day on April eighth, and flying to Detroit getting into Detroit at about 4.20 in the afternoon. And the reason the flight is from Austin to Detroit is because it follows a route designed to maximize the visibility of the eclipse. Uh, it'll be an Airbus A220 because Delta says that plane has the biggest windows of any plane in its fleet. Tickets are, as of the other day, tickets were still available at $579 a piece, probably going fast. So if you want to see it, you get on this flight and you fly to Detroit. The problem with that is then you're in Detroit. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, it's a joke. It's a joke. I'm kidding, people. There's another story about Delta that I liked. Have you heard this? This, I, this doesn't even sound real to me i got to give him credit for this. This is a very cool idea. I'm not sure how this came about. Delta Airlines has teamed up with Porsche at LAX. They have a fleet of Porsche 911 GT3s, and people that have a very tight connection are randomly selected to be taken by a Porsche 911 to their um, to their plane. So if you are in one of those not going to make it situations with your connection, uh, they will page you. They will take you downstairs to the tarmac. You'll jump in a Porsche. I don't know. What, I mean, I guess this is one person at a time. Obviously, um, it's not going to happen to your family, right? Uh, but these special Porsche models are available for one-to-one -one airport transfers. It's not the first time they've done it. Apparently, they've had this promotion at other airports, other cities, other times. But uh, the GT3 RS is the the 518 horsepower, zero to 60 in like two and a half seconds. Big rear wing, track ready, 
amazing car, probably north of $100,000, I would think. Um, how cool would that be? I'd be crossing my fingers for a late connection, right? It'd be awesome. But again, it's only going to work, I guess, if you're traveling alone, right? Or if you're you know, you're with your husband or wife, and they're like, "Yeah, I don't mind missing the flight. You go, <laughs> you go ahead. I'll, I'll see you the next day, wherever we're going." Yeah, Porsche and Delta teaming up at LAX. I mean, I guess if they're not going to be on time, and apparently they've given up on that completely, the airlines. I, I guess the next best thing is, you know, give us a cool car to ride around in. Um, this was kind of a cool story. Uh, we've been hearing a lot lately about um, Brian Wilson. Beach Boy Brian Wilson, he's had some health issues. and um, Unfortunately, because of dementia, his family has had to set up like guardianship for Brian Wilson. But this is a, a happier, uh, I, I guess, story. It turns out that Brian Wilson made a country album in the early 70s that was never released. And uh, he did it with a guy named Fred Vail, who is the singer on the album. And um, they worked on it and then didn't finish it or got distracted by other things. And it has never been released. And it will be coming out next year. Rolling Stone says the album has 14 songs on it. And um, it needs some post-production to be finished because Brian Wilson didn't finish it. He lost interest or abandoned it at some point. Um, I'm not sure what it will sound like, but just the idea that there would be new music from Brian Wilson that we've never heard before is kind of intriguing, right? You know, that makes me think of, do you remember when um, Prince passed away, the artist Prince? Uh, there were stories about, and I guess they're true, I, I don't think they've been debunked. There were stories about his his vault um, at Paisley Park that he had just some incredible number of songs that were finished, that were partly uh, laid down, stuff that was written but not yet recorded. And so apparently there is years and years and years of music that could be, maybe, some of it, released. And Prince was like that. I mean, he, he, was, um, he wrote all the time. I mean, he was always putting out music. He was always writing and, and collaborating with other uh, artists. I could believe that. I could believe that there's just like shelves and shelves of, of, of music. And, of course, he was an amazing talent, so a lot of it would probably be of, of great interest. But uh, that's what kind of, kind of put me in mind of, like, where is, that, where is all that? And you wonder if whoever is in charge of the vault of a great artist like a Brian Wilson or a Prince or you know whoever like is the is the thinking well we're going to really take our time and we're going to piece this out cuz we want to we want to make a long term you know business out of this and we want to keep people on the hook and interested way into the future or is the thinking you know we got to we got to strike while the iron's hot i mean we got to release music while there is still a fan base and people are, you know, remember this artist and, and know the music and will have an appetite for it. Cause I mean, obviously if you wait too long, you know, if you, if you wait a hundred years, people will be like, who is that? 
who are you talking about? So I wonder what the thinking is or what the business model is for stuff like that. It kind of fascinates me. I don't, I've never been in that end of the business. I've never been in the, the A&R business or, or any of that, but uh, just how they do it, how they decide to piece it out and who gets to decide and all that stuff. But uh, apparently we do know that sometime next year, the Brian Wilson album, it's called Cows in the Pasture. Which doesn't <laughs> doesn't do much for me yeah. uh, as a title, but um, okay, you know that's it's, that's the title. Seems kind of yeah. Seems like they were weren't trying too hard with the title, but okay. <laughs> now is this album it, when, when it's as far as the recording of it was it sung mm-hmm. by Brian Wilson or someone else? They said this Fred Vale sang it. Okay, well he I, was he? He's the, a manager. He's the manager at the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, I don't know, you, you raise a good question. Did he, like, just lay down the vocals? Like, sometimes you'll have a song, like, they, they call them demos mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. working copies. Like, maybe he just laid down vocals so that they could work on it. But maybe, yes, maybe there will be somebody else actually singing when we get the album. Or or maybe it is yeah. this guy. I don't know. When you brought this up a couple of days ago, I, I was very curious, and I, I looked it yeah, up. Yeah, you're a and, big Beach Boys fan. And I, and I was reading some of the background on this. Apparently, this this was during the time when, when uh, you know, he was going through a lot of m- mental, mm-hmm. you know, problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, it just it, it never went anywhere. So they put it in mm-hmm. the vault, and uh, that's why it disappeared for... Uh, many years was it early 70s is that what they said yes i believe so i believe so So it wasn't it it wasn't like the charles manson period it was after that i think it was right after that yeah this is this is during during that time when he was going through his you know when he was in in bed for you know quite some time he never got out of bed you know and he was in he had a a drug issue and and mental issues at the time and uh, so they just they shut that down and just Put it in a vault, and and apparently it became lore. Basically, it just became a myth that that mm-hmm. actually existed. But apparently, mm-hmm. it, it's a it, it's a true story. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's not that far fetched. I mean, you, you think about the sound of the Beach Boys and that whole sort of scene. I could I could see country music. I mean, if you told me. You know, if you told me the Eagles did something like this, or you know, it's believable. It's not like you're telling me. It's not like you're telling me Pavarotti did a country album, you know. I, I could see it. And uh, I guess we'll hear it next year. Thank God it's... A Dream Blunt Rotation is a group of people you'd hypothetically like to smoke weed with. These are people you'd go get pedicures with. Pedicure oh, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Joe Biden... Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, The Rock, Nancy oh, Pelosi. Yeah, I know oh, you I'm have. I'm stopping there. I'm just doing The Rock four times. Can rock I four times. Uh, yeah. Just The Rock. You and The Rock. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, four that, times, that, that's totally it's fine. The same thing. He's doing The Rock four times. Who hasn't? No, just kidding. Um, all right, Jr. Poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery. Are you? I don't know. I guess I shouldn't have even asked. I guess the answer is obvious. Are you a yes or no? On banana bread, it was 100% yes. We didn't have any doubters. Everybody was down with banana bread. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm I'm with you on that. 
Um, remember last year, the controversy in spring training was about baseball having the pitch clock, and there was all this talk about whether or not it would ruin the game. Have you heard the big complaint about baseball this year? The players are complaining that the new uniforms have um, virtually see-through pants. The trousers in Major League Baseball are see-through. So I don't know if that will make people more likely to tune in or forget about the pitch clock or what, but we'll get into that Monday live at 4. Find our show as a podcast anytime at KTSA.com. Have a good weekend.